Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm taking up Matthew chapter 25, in which is contained three parables, all of which, in my humble opinion, relate to the Olivet Discourse, which I discussed at great length in videos 20, Matthew 24a through 24h, when I talked about the Olivet Discourse. Now, these parables are, respectively, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents and the sheep and the goats. They all or they, at least the first two especially, talk about the attitude that the Christian should have, that the believer should have, as they wait for Jesus to come in judgment on Jerusalem. Now, I know that most people take these, and, and some preterist, and all futurist, and a lot of people take this, these parables to refer to Jesus as coming at the end of time. However, I note that there is no indication anywhere in the Olivet Discourse, in chapter 24 or in chapter 20, 25, that Jesus has switched his talking from, 8070 to the end of the world. And I've gone over that in great detail in audios 24A through 24H. So I'm just going to assume that this is still talking about 8070 because I don't see that switch. There's no, nothing to indicate, and I don't think Jesus has changed his context of what he's talking about. And plus, there's some other indications that I think that these parables refer to Jesus' coming in 8070, and I'll mention the internal clues as I go through. But right now, let's start with verse 1, Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Well, the groom is Jesus. He's coming. He's not there yet. He's coming. So that's not so hard. The question is, is who do these ten virgins refer to? Well, a lot of people say it refers to the church. Some people say, well, especially since later on the virgins will be divided between the five faithful virgins and the five virgins who weren't ready for the groom coming back. It's talking about dedicated Christians and backslidden Christians. I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think the five virgins are refer the faithful virgins are referring to those who followed Jesus and believed in Jesus at the coming of eighty seventy, so they were looking for him, they were ready for the judgment that was coming. And the five unfaithful virgins who were shut out of the kingdom, as the parable says, they don't refer to backslidden Christians, because backslidden Christians or, or less than dedicated Christians are not going to be shut out of the kingdom. That refers to those Pharisees and Sadducees who are going to get shut out of the kingdom. So that's the context. That's the way I'm going to interpret it as we go through. Now, a bridesmaid job was to prepare the bride to go meet the groom. So Jesus is trying to train his apostles here. Say, look, you got to get ready. You're, you're going to be in charge of the kingdom. You're going to be in charge of the church. So you be ready for when I come back. Note that the bride does not appear in the parable. Only the virgins who attend to the bride. Again, and I think the reason for that is because Jesus is talking about the people who are, who are going to be the leaders of the church, the bride. What are these lamps of these ten virgins who went out and they're waiting to meet the groom? The groom hasn't come to go out in the dark uh, to try to find the groom. Well, then my NIV study Bible says there were long poles with oil-drenched rags at the top because if they were small clay lamps, that would have been useless in an outdoor procession. I think that makes a lot of sense. Here's some options as to the symbolism of these of these rags, these torches, these lamps. Well, it, it could symbolize nothing. It's just a detail in the parable, or it could be the word of God bringing light to the world. Says Gil again. That's I don't think. I think the whole point is preparation, not bringing light to the world. As true as that is, but the whole point of the parable is, guys, you got to be ready. You got to be ready for me to come when I come. Now. The then here, the timing of this parable, of course, is the big debate between the preterist and the futurist. Here's a preterist approach. John Gill, he says the timing is a little before AD 70. Quote, the parable is manifestly connected with and refers to the preceding chapter, which chiefly treats of Jerusalem's destruction. And Gill also points out that it could refer to a little before the second coming at the end of the world. 
Here's a quote from Gill. Though the Jews were in great security before their utter ruin, yet it does not appear that the Christian church was then in such a lukewarm, drowsy, and sleepy condition as this parable represents. Well, right now, I'm going to disagree with you. I think there's plenty of evidence that the church was lukewarm, drowsy, and sleepy right before Jesus came back. There's a lot of historical evidence to prove that. Uh, if you look at the great apostasy, I think is where is that, an Olivet Discourse, the, uh, and look at the historical uh, state of the church, in the generation, in the period right before 87, you will find that the church was very sleepy and apostate. Look at the book of Hebrews. Those who have forsaken their assembling together as some. And if you take that passage to Timothy where Paul says there will be a great apostasy, a great falling away, well, how do we know that Paul wasn't talking about his, the conditions right after his death as opposed to the end of the world? But anyway, this is what Gill says. He says that, that the church there that that the church appears sleepy in, in this parable of the virgins but the church was not sleepy pre-87 i beg to disagree and he also says gill goes on to say in the latter part of the preceding chapter that's chapter 24 there are some hints of christ's second and last coming when the servant found doing his lord's will will be greatly honored and the wicked cruel and licentious service will be severely punished well i don't know why that's so last chapter to me was very clearly Eighty seventy, And since at the close of this and the following parable, there's a very lively description given of the last judgment. As also because it appears elsewhere that such will be the formal lukewarm, cold, indifferent, secure, and sleepy state of the church before the second coming of Christ, it seems right and best to understand this parable and the following as having respect to that. And, and Gill, even though he takes a preterist position in many other situations here, he says that this is referring to the end of time. And so... I just give you that to show you that this is what many people think, that the church will be cold and indifferent. And, you know, it seems to me that that really cuts against Jesus' parables about the the mustard seed growing up into a tree that covers the whole nation, the the progress of the gospel, victory in Christ. This this idea that there's going to be a terrible apostasy before Jesus comes back leads to Christian defeatism, which there is all too much of in the Christian church today. Now, John Gill sort of hedges his bets. He said, well, maybe Jesus was referring to both AD 70 and the second coming. And Adam Clark suggests the same thing. I don't believe that he would be that fuzzy about it like the commentators are. Some people get into a discussion as to what the 10 virgins means. I don't think it means a thing myself, but some people says, oh, this represents the small number of believers at the bridegroom's coming. Again, this is that same amill, premill, pessimillennial idea that the church is just going to be a little tiny remnant when Jesus comes back. That is absolute nonsense. We've already upped about 40% of the world now believe in Jesus, and it's going to get better and better. Despite all the persecution and opposition the church has received and is going to receive. Some people say the 10 represents the ten people are required to have a synagogue, and so, therefore, the ten is, re- is referring to the establishment of the church. That's John Gill's idea. I think that's a little far-fetched. Now, this idea of the, bri- of the virgins going out to meet the bridegroom, this was a custom in all the ancient East, not just with the Jews. The attendants, the bridesmaids, would meet the bride and escort her to the groom's house at night with torches. And so this parable fits well in well with Jewish culture. Now, this fact that they went out looking for the bridegroom, that illustrates a vigilant, inspective attitude of faith. They were looking for the Messiah. At least five of them were. Matthew 25, verses 2 through 4. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take olive oil with them. So, yeah, they were looking for the Messiah, all right, but they weren't looking in the right way. The sensible ones took oil in their flask with their lamps. 
Now, they were not foolish in their own eyes. They were foolish objectively. They didn't understand the things of salvation. And I would submit to you this because they weren't saved. They were followers of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown begs to differ with that. They say that we have to assume a certain amount of goodwill in them because they did go out to meet the bridegroom. And Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown further go on to say that the word foolish might be translated careless. They were careless. So this represents the, the people who really believe in Jesus, but they're just not prepared enough. They're not, they don't read the Bible enough. They don't witness enough, you know, that kind of thing. Nominal type Christians. I don't think so. I mean, that's that's an argument that, I, and I acknowledge that it's true they went out to look for the groom, but isn't it true that the apostate Jews were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking in the wrong way? I don't see why the parable couldn't refer to that. Some people go so far as to press the detail in this parable, the detail that there were five lamps for the wise virgins and five lamps for the foolish virgins. They say that the two fives mean that on-fire Christians will be equal to nominal Christians. This is an idea I got from John Gill and Adam Clark. Now, Gill and Clark disagree with that idea. They say that the five and five only means there will be a large number of foolish Christians that Jesus is coming, but we don't need to say that they're going to be the same number of foolish Christians as, as sensible Christians. And again, I don't think it's referring to Christians at all, the five. But I mean, later on in the parable, it's going to say these five foolish virgins are shut out of the wedding banquet, of the of the wedding feast. So if they're shut out, how can they be Christians? This idea of a small number of people coming it, uh, is also reinforced by certain verses like in Luke 18, verses 6 through 8. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay to help them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find that faith on the land? So the idea is, oh, there's just a few people. Well, if you refer to 8070, it's not, he's asking, is he going to find faith in Israel when they come back, when times are tough? He's not talking about, will he find faith on the earth, where there's just a few people on the earth? The sensible virgins had oil in their flask. Now, what's the symbolism of oil? Here's some options from Clark Gill and Jameson Fawcett and Brown. The light of the gospel and believers, temporal blessings, spiritual blessings, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself. Now, if it's the Holy Spirit, that means that the five foolish virgins, they did have a little bit of oil in their lamps, but they didn't take olive oil with them. So I guess you could say they didn't have the Holy Spirit. However, some people say, yeah, they had they had uh, oil, some oil. They just didn't have enough oil, so they're nominal Christians. Again, I don't think that's what the the parable is about. The, par the point of the parable is about preparedness, not about who's saved or not. It's not about who shows more Christian fruit or not. It says in verse 3 that, when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take olive oil with them. Now, that doesn't say that there was a little bit of oil in the lamp and they just didn't have enough to replenish it. It says they didn't take olive oil with them, period. Some commentators say, well, they had the oil when they left. They just ran out on the way. Again, to get to this idea of the five foolish virgins referring to nominal believers or backslidden believers or carnal believers or whatever, I just don't believe that's, that's the case. Matthew 25, 5, since the groom was delayed, and of course Jesus was delayed for a generation, from 8030 to 8070, 40 years, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And Jesus says again, he said, look, just because almost all of your lifetime is going to pass before I come and deliver you from these persecuting Jews that murdered, that are going, that are fixing to murder me in three days, just because I'm taking a long time to come back, you don't need to fall asleep. You need to stay on the alert and keep spreading the kingdom, spreading the gospel. Now that delayed, the groom was delayed, makes it sound like a long time. And futurists always say, see there, it refers to the end of the world. Now look, 
delayed when you are have a well let's say average lifetime back then was 70 years well 40 years is over half your lifetime that's a long time to delay and besides even in the parable the groom was only delayed he couldn't have been delayed greater than a lifetime because a groom can't live more than his own life the, the delay was not longer than the lifetime of the sensible virgins this idea of course is similar to the parable of the wicked slaves in the end of the Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, verse 48. But if that wicked slave says in his heart, my master is delayed, and there the wicked slave, of course, refers to the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's why I think that Jesus is continuing with the same idea with the five foolish virgins. In other words, wicked slave equals five foolish virgins. They both of them are saying, my master's delayed, and so we don't have to worry about the judgment coming on Jerusalem. Now, the idea that the virgins were asleep what Jesus is saying, look, obviously those who are not uh, are looking for the, a future Jewish Messiah, they're asleep to my coming. They're not going to realize that I'm coming. But you don't need to be asleep and thinking, well, it's been a long time. Jesus isn't coming back. Because you just don't need to think that way. Well, anyway, some people have, John Gill gives some speculations as to what the symbolism of that sleep is on the part of the virgins. Could be referred to death. Gill denies that. Or sleep in sin. Gill denies that. Because he said the foolish virgins were asleep in sin even while they were awake. So it doesn't refer to that. People weary of spirituality, people who slide into nominal Christianity, who exercise the form without the life. And as I said, that's what many people, how many people take that. As John Gill takes it away. I don't take it that way. I think that they're asleep because they're spiritually dead. They don't know who the true Messiah is. And the reason I do that is because I tie the parable of the ten virgins in with the parable of the wicked slaves and the general context of the Olivet Discourse, which is... Judgment coming, be ready. Judgment coming, kingdom's going to be transferred from one group of Jews to another group of Jews. Matthew 25, verses 6 through 7. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. Trimmed their lamps means they cut the charred ends of the rags on the top of the pole, the torch, and they cut the ends off, and then they soaked them in oil again, and then lit them again. Notice there was no notice on the day he came. Jesus gave general signs in the Olivet Discourse. Wars, rumors of wars, but that's the end is not yet. The end is not yet. Earthquake, the end is not yet. But on the day he's going to come, big shout. Everybody's going to wake up because when the Jewish war came, when Jerusalem got torched, everybody's going to know about it. Don't need to have a warning sign for that. It's going to come and everybody's going to know about it. Now it says, then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps in verse 7. Now that's where I got the idea that both the wise and the foolish virgins had oil. The foolish ones had the oil, but their folly was not in having enough of it, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Well, as again, it doesn't say that. It just says that the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps, including the foolish virgins, but they didn't carry the oil with them. I, I still don't see why, where it says or where it implies that the foolish virgins were actually carrying oil. Now, as I've said, some say that the foolish virgins therefore represent true Christians, but, they, but true Christians without the requisite degree of watchfulness. Well, here's a quote by Jameson Fawcett and Brown that opposes that and say, no, they represent unsaved people. So let's read this. Do they, I'm, I'm asking the question, do they represent true questions? Quote, certainly not, since the parable was designed to hold forth the prepared and the unprepared to meet Christ at his coming, and how the unprepared might, up to the very last, be confounded with the prepared. The structure of the parable behooved to accommodate itself to this by making the lamps of the foolish to burn, as well as of the wise, up to a certain time, and only then to discover the inability to burn 
on for want of a fresh supply of oil. But this is evidently just a structural device, and the real difference between the two classes who profess the Lord's appearing is a radical one. The possession by the one class of an enduring principle of spiritual life and the want of it by the other. Well, that's kind of tiptoeing around a little bit, but when you talk about the want of an enduring principle of spiritual life, it sounds to me that Jameson Fawcett and Brown are saying they're not saved. Anyway, that's what I'm saying. I don't believe they're saved. And to point that out, the door was shut in their face, the foolish verses, the door was shut in their face in verse 10, and then Jesus in verse 12 says, Go away, I do not know you. Does that sound like Christians to you? And then in verse 30, they were shut up into the outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does that sound like Christians to you? Now, here's an Arminian argument from Adam Clark, who is a dedicated Arminian, who says that, yes, those foolish virgins were Christians. Their lamps were at one time lighted, he says. And again, I'm not exactly sure where it says that, but he says that. He says the foolish virgins were backslidden Christians. Jameson Fawcett Brown disagrees with that, as I just mentioned, agrees with me. How graphic and appalling this picture of one almost saved but lost. <laughs> well, if their lamp was burning and then they got shut out in verse 10 and they got thrown into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness, that means they lost their salvation, which, of course, I don't believe for a minute. Folks, those foolish virgins represented the Jews who were trying to persecute the Christians and who did not understand that when Jesus was come come he was going to destroy their precious little city. Now notice this all of this takes place at night. Why? Because all wedding banquets, Jewish weddings were normally celebrated at night as Adam Clark said. This has nothing to do when Jesus came either AD 7 or the end of the world. He's not going to come at night. It's just an incidental detail of the parable. Now the bridegroom would be expected in the middle of the night. Excuse me, would be unexpected in the middle of the night. I'm not really sure when he's going to come. Jesus comes as a thief in the night. However, this phrase, thief in the night, you've got to be real careful with it. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 says this, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. It will come to those who are not looking for him. If you're looking for a thief and you, you think the thief's going to break in, when that thief shows up, you're ready for him. Bam, you can fire away. But if you're sleeping in your bed and you think, oh, everything's cool, not a problem, that thief's going to sneak up on you. The whole point is, is don't let Jesus come like a thief in the night. Be ready for him. Be on the lookout for him. Watch him. Now, by the way, even though I believe this refers to 87, I don't, I don't see why it can't refer also to the end of the world when Jesus comes back. Because, yeah, you can get sleepy. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of foolish virgins who don't expect Jesus to ever come back. In fact, I would think the majority of the human race is that way. All right, so let's go to Matthew 25, verses 8 through 10. But the foolish ones, the foolish virgins, said to the sensible ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Now, notice that phrase, our lamps are going out, said the foolish virgins. And people, I think, get the idea there, there that there was some oil there, but they're going out. Again, to represent this idea that they're backslidden Christians. I don't think the, that detail means that. It just means they didn't have any oil in their lamps, so they tried to light it. The, light, the lights went out. The lamps wouldn't burn. They needed some oil. I don't think they had any oil to start with. Verse 9, the sensible ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. Verse, verse 10, When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived. Then those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And there you have it. <laughs> the foolish virgins weren't allowed to get into the wedding banquet. But those who were ready got in. The ones who had the oil. The ones who were saved. The Christian Jews in 87, they went to... Everything went down. They were in the wedding banquet with Jesus. They were in the church. They were in the kingdom. But the foolish virgins, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the rabbis, they got shut out. 
Here's some speculations as to the wise virgin's attitude for refusing the oil to these foolish virgins. Now think about it. I can't believe that these wise virgins would be criticized, but some people have said they have sh- they showed a lack of compassion. In other words, we're prepared for the Lord's coming, but we're not going to help you prepare for the Lord's coming. Some people have said they were stingy because they wouldn't give the bad guy, the bad virgins, the foolish virgins any oil. Some people said they had a churlish disposition. Some people said they were had indignation at the foolish virgins' attitude towards the coming Lord. No, I don't believe any of that. They were just saying, look, as a practical matter, we don't have enough oil. You need to go out and get some. It's just a detail in the parable. Now, some people have, a, if you apply the foolish virgins and equate them with backslidden Christians, you could make an application this way. We can't let backslidden Christians or hypocritical professors of Christ who are not Christians or people who are just not interested in meeting Jesus, you can't let them determine your devotion. You can't let them say, you need to give us what you got. And you say, no, I'm giving everything I got to Jesus, and you're going to have to go do what you need to do to find Jesus. I think I mentioned this earlier. Let me say it again. It doesn't matter what your view is of this parable or as a matter of fact, what your eschatological views are, we all need to be on the alert for Jesus' second coming, not just AD 70, but his second coming, because even preterist post-mills need to be alert because there's a satanic rebellion at the end of the millennium in Revelation chapter 20. Excuse me, not the, well, when I say the millennium, the millennium, I mean the church age, not like the pre-mills have it. The church age, there's a satanic rebellion at the very end, and and you don't know when Jesus is going to come after that. You just don't know. So you got to be on the alert. We don't know when he's coming back. Same thing with our mills, for that matter. They don't know when he's coming back. Pre-mills don't know when he's coming back either. They keep talking about, or I should say pre-trib pre-mills, they keep talking about a signless rapture. Well, if it's signless, that means you don't know when it's coming. It's so funny to me how pre-tribbers always talk about it. it's an imminent return, no signs, and then they spend a million dollars in a million years talking about the signs of Jesus coming back. Look what happened in the Middle East. That means Jesus is going, oh, there's more earthquakes. Jesus is coming back. That's all they talk about is signs. When the uh, the rapture is supposed to be signless. Some people, going back to these foolish virgins' attitudes, some people say they're being ironical and sarcastic even. I've already said that some people say they were stingy and churlish and lacking compassion. Some people say they're ironical and sarcastic. However, John Gill finally says, no, they're serious. They're just saying, look, you need to be watchful yourselves. You need to get filled up with grace. But don't expect us to give it to you. You're going to have to go to the to the oil market, if you will. You've got to go to the Holy Spirit and get your oil. You've got to get saved, in other words. Matthew 25, 11 through 13. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. But he replied, I assure you, I do not know you. Again, does that sound like Christians that are just not quite as fruitful as other Christians, as the wise virgins? Does that sound to you like backslidden Christians? Uh, you know, well, I guess if you're an Armenian, you believe that you sin a little bit too much, you're going to hell, which I certainly don't believe that. I guess if you were an Armenian, you could say, well, Jesus would say to you, I don't know you. But if you believe that once you get saved, then you become a son, you can't become not a son, then these foolish virgins never knew Jesus. He replied, I assure you, I do not know you. Therefore, be on the alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. Now, again, Jesus has given them plenty of ideas about to know the general season, the twig tree that gets full and then branches become tender and the little leaves begin to sprout. And then you got the earthquakes, you got the wars, you got the rumors of wars. He's given them plenty of general signs. And also this generation will not pass away. That gives them a general time frame. But exactly when he's coming back, well, they don't know when all that's coming. 
Happened in AD 66, but they didn't know that exactly. Notice the frantic attitude of the foolish virgins. Master, master, open up for us. I can imagine them when they're sitting there watching their city surrounded by armies from Jerusalem. They can say, Jesus, Jesus, help us. Except they wouldn't say Jesus. They would say, God, God, help us. Because they didn't believe in Jesus. And Jesus says, I assure you, I do not know you. You're not going to get saved because you didn't believe in me. All right, I think I'll finish with the parable of the foolish virgins right there and end it at verse 13. Next audio, we'll start with verse 14 and we will look at the parable of the talents. I hope you enjoyed this audio.